Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. Alley hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me this week, uh, big news. This is this is very. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it because uh, apparently, in the last couple of days, podcast commissioner Roger Goodell lifted the ban of Alan Sepinwall, uh, and so Alan Sepinwall is with us this week. Alan, welcome. Joe, it was it was really hard to be banned for as long as I was banned. I I didn't eat. I sure. my sleep has been troubled. Sure. So I want to say a huge thank you to Roger Goodell, one of the finest commissioners we have <laughs> anywhere for any job whatsoever for allowing me back here on the podcast. Roger, you're always tops in my book. Very surprising uh, that 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 this was what he came down. I, I, you had to be. You had to be shocked when I mean I I believe he did it during the weekend's halftime performance of the Super Bowl, so it was it, it didn't make the news. It didn't it didn't hit Twitter as big as as it might have under other circumstances. But uh, you had to be stunned. Yeah, no, I mean the weekend was busy like getting lost, uh, trying to get, get through those different walls he had backstage, and that was exactly when I got the text from Goodell saying you're back on the podcast. So it's stunning, just yeah. just stunning. It's it's shocking. Uh, we have not yet gotten a response from uh, Mike Shore. Mike, I, I he is just he is in hiding. He is he is stunned by this. I believe he should be in hiding because I feel like I was railroaded here. He baited me into doing that on the holiday podcast, yes. and then he banned me for it. So that's yes. that's entrapment. Yes, for those for those that might have missed it, which I would hope is all of you, uh, during during the holiday draft, uh, Alan, uh, it was a we were drafting holiday movies, and uh, Alan drafted. The entire, all the Christmas episodes of The West Wing as his movie uh, choice. Of course, it not being a movie. Uh, but, and I believe this is probably what Roger Goodell saw when he was making his ruling. Uh, he was indeed baited by by Mike Shore, who, who had shown ex- uh, incredible disappointment that Allen's first two picks had been... Uh, in the line of uh, and the spirit of what the draft was supposed to be. So you were, in fact, baited. 
but yeah, you, like I feel as if I I have this reputation unfairly as someone who does not play by the rules of the podcast. And here I went out of my way to make sensible, you did. admirable picks in this draft. And yep. all I got was grief about it until finally Ken Tremendous just bullied me in, into, you know, taking all the holiday episodes of the West Wing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, look, you had, you should have been banned long ago for your ridiculous uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons or movies uh, take. But we're not hey, going Ellen, to Ellen Adair <laughs> devoted a whole episode of her baseball movie podcast to and, baseball and, bugs, Joe. Thank and, you. And she should be banned too. But but well, but that's a whole other a whole other section. Oh well, my here, like if if I could get all of the, the podcast guests banned one by one <laughs> I could just I could achieve my dream of destroying the podcast. This, would this be great. is uh, we know that's what you're doing. You're trying to destroy it from the inside, and I look. It's not destroyable because it is a wreck to begin with. It's like there's no there's no way to destroy a just a pile of nothing. So um, I, I gotta say, Joe, I've been like I've been doing my own podcast lately, and it's so strange to be on something with like a format and a structure and like. <laughs> production and like I, topics. I don't, these you're saying words that I know have meaning uh, but I don't I don't understand the the words that you speak it, by the way go on let's do it get it out of the way you have a podcast go ahead tell us about it that's <laughs> it's that's what we do here you know we're like the tonight show what do you what do you got to pitch what do you got all right so the, the new podcast is called too long didn't watch in which in every episode uh, I sit down with a celebrity guest, and we watch the very first episode of a show they've never seen, and then we jump all the way ahead to the very last episode of the show they've never seen, and they try to figure out what the heck happened in between. So this week, for instance, Lena Dunham, creator and star of Girls, sat down to watch Mike Schur's favorite TV show, Cheers, which she had never seen before because she was not alive when it debuted. So that's a pretty good excuse. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I could have. I did that with my daughter. I didn't do the beginning and the end. We just started watching Cheers, which is which is uh, quite exciting. Yes, it really is good. I, it's it's a, it's an excellent idea and a, and a great concept. And you've had great guests. I mean, really, like ridiculous. Like, how do you know these people? Come on, what's going on here? Well, I mean, I know at least one of them, and I can't say who it is through the podcast. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. But they may be appearing in an upcoming episode. Yeah. I just. You know, in my travels as as Rolling Stone's chief TV critic, I meet different people, you and do. you know, they either we hit it off, or at the very least, they now know who I am and are willing to say yes if someone asks them. So it was very good. I really particularly enjoyed the John Hamm uh, episode, with and uh, which was was that your first? That was the first one. I taped that so long ago. We did it in person in Los Angeles on, I think, March 10th of last year, like wow. a few days before the quarantine started. The plan was I was going to fly back and forth between New Jersey and L.A. to tape episodes in batches. I did two of them in person, <laughs> flew home on March 13th, went straight into quarantine, and we've done all of the ones since then on Zoom. Wow. Wow. Well, that was that that was very, very cool. By the way, can you do that? Are you allowed to like record podcasts like months in advance? Like that seems what a smart idea. I, I I'm telling you, I am learning so much about this podcasting game. I didn't. Even I, know you I will could do say that. one of the things I like about the podcast though is it is its timely nature. So I feel like <laughs> you couldn't necessarily do a lot of the regular segments on the podcast, right? Well, because what we do them. is we babble for like an hour and a half, and and then we just put it up like without any you know it, it's. Uh, 
it's not a recipe for success. All right, but I don't the, think I don't think people want a professional podcast. <laughs> I think well, you know. well, if they do, they're not getting one. So it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Um, I will I will pause here because since we do it is timely and and we always do talk about things that had just happened. Uh, so yeah, so just to bring a little downer to the podcast because I don't want it to to get too lively. Uh, it is we are recording this podcast on Tuesday. And uh, we just found out not that long ago, about an hour ago, an hour and a half ago, uh, that uh, Marty Schottenheimer, uh, the uh, great NFL head coach, a hero of mine, somebody I was lucky enough to know pretty well, uh, passed away uh, after uh, a long battle with illness and after being in hospice for a few days. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I just wanted to pause. I'm, I'm actually writing something that will appear on The Athletic about him. But uh, there are not many uh, people in sports who have had sort of the profound impact on my life uh, that Marty did because he is one of the very few people who I uh, knew as a fan, uh, as a kid, a relative kid, teenager, uh, who loved the Cleveland Browns, and he was the uh, head coach for the Browns in the 80s when they had their brief uh, and heartbreaking uh, period of success where they went to back-to-back uh, AFC championships and lost one on on the John Elway drive and another on the Ernest Biner fumble. And then he went to Kansas City and turned things around, and that was my first sort of major job was his columnist of the of the uh, Kansas City Star and so I covered him for several years there and really got to know him and then we've uh, been in contact some uh, through the years uh, just a great person and you know I don't know Alan if, what your thoughts are on Marty or or you know obviously seeing him from afar but he he feels to me uh, a little bit like a television character in, in the sense of there's just this there's this Shakespearean element to him. He was he was a great coach, one of the greatest in NFL history, won 200 games as a head coach, and yet couldn't win the big one, and not only couldn't win the big one, couldn't even get to the big one, couldn't even get to the Super Bowl. And each of his losses, whether they were in Kansas City, uh, in Cleveland, or, or at the end in San Diego, where, where he probably had his worst loss to uh, the Belichick Patriots. Um, they each had this sort of terrible, like it wasn't just a loss and it wasn't even just a heartbreaking loss. It was a, a heartbreaking loss that felt like a season finale to television shows. Like just yeah. these, these awful, awful things. I don't know. There was, there just felt like something larger. There was something fictional. It feels to me about, about the Marty Schottenheimer career. I mean, he went 14 and two in that last season in San yeah. Diego and they fired him because yeah. as, as always, his fatal flaw was he couldn't get over the hump in the playoffs. Yeah. It's really stunning. Just, a, just, you know, there are certain people, see, here's, here's the thing about sports that feels so different to me, uh, than most of what you see from, from television, which is, look, television is scripted. We all understand that it's, it comes out of people's minds and, and, you know, things very often fit into place in some form or another. And that isn't true necessarily of sports. Like, there was no reason for Marty Schottenheimer to be jinxed in the way he was 
throughout his entire career, right? There was no reason that the same guy was coaching the the team that lost to John Elway on the drive and then was coaching the team that lost to to uh uh you know on the on the fumble at the end of the game and also the same guy that lost because his defensive back you know wouldn't fall on the ball and after picking it off after having an interception and instead fumbled the ball away and no reason the same guy you know would lose these really really just crushing games uh, when he was in Kansas City, I mean, particularly the year they went 13 and three and lost to the Broncos in a in a game where you know a holding penalty and a and a and a very near touchdown pass cost them the game. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it it feels to me like that's the one thing about sports is that it's it is unpredictable, and yet at the same time, I mean, what's more predictable than Marty Schottenheimer losing in the big game? I want to ask you something about this, Joe, which is I've had this experience a few times where I've had to interview or simply meet someone who works in television whose work I admired when I was growing up. And it can be weird. Sometimes it's really great. Sometimes it's really bad. Don't meet your heroes, kids. Right. Sometimes I'm able to resist doing the whole, my God, I grew up watching your stuff. And sometimes I can't help myself. How long into you having that job at the star... Did you first tell Marty uh, like about your childhood Cleveland fandom? Almost immediately. That's really interesting that you would ask that because it with with Marty, I came in '96 and they had a weird season in '96 where they were good, um, like good enough to make the playoffs, but they didn't have a quarterback. I think Steve Bono was the quarterback that year, and they came down to the finish and they ended up not making the playoffs. Because they they were they were they I think won their last game or lost I can't remember I believe we were in Buffalo and it was freezing and and the the last game happened and I can't remember if the Chiefs won or lost but I remember that it came down to Atlanta an Atlanta game Atlanta had to just win I think the game in order for uh, for the Chiefs to um, in order for the Chiefs to to go to the playoffs and. Atlanta then drove the ball down the field at the very end of the game uh, and were in position to to win, I think with like like a nothing, like a like a 30 or 25-yard field goal. I mean, it was some absurd field goal. And the Falcons at the time had Morton Anderson, who is, you know, maybe one of the greatest kickers in the history of the game, and he missed it. He missed like a 25-yard field goal. And so, so right away I was like, oh, okay, so this is what it's like to cover a Marty Schottenheimer team. <laughs> And, and not long after that, I set up a time because we, because, because of the timing of when I came and I think the Olympics and everything else, I, I never had like when I, when I, when a new coach would come or when I would go into a new town, uh, you know, the, the couple times that happened, I would always want to try to set up a meeting, uh, where I would get to know the coach and try to, you know, sort of explain, who I am as a columnist and and let them explain who they are as a coach and see if we can sort of develop a relationship. And this was obviously back in the days when newspapers were, were more uh, prominent uh, in, in communities. But anyway, I set that up and almost immediately I told him that I was a big Browns fan and I will not remember, I will not forget this, uh, this scene. So I was telling him, you know, look, I grew up in Cleveland and I was a huge Browns fan when you were the coach of the Browns. And, and I was telling him how heartbreaking, you know, the drive and the fumble were. And out of nowhere, he says, you know, um, 
you know, that fumble wasn't Ernest Biner's fault. It was Ernest Biner who fumbled it. And I said, um, okay. And he goes, it was Webster Slaughter's fault. Webster Slaughter was a uh, receiver on that team. And I said, oh. And he literally got up and there was a, you know, the whiteboard behind him. And he starts drawing the play for me. <laughs> and and he shows me that Ernest Biner had missed the block. That was the reason that, uh, I can't remember who it was, Jeremiah Castile or somebody like that, broke through and knocked the ball free and, and forced the fumble. And that the fumble was forced because Ernest Bein- because uh, Webster Slaughter had missed the block. And I just remember two things about that. One was, like, as you would well appreciate, uh, the kid in me, the one that grew up uh, a Cleveland Browns fan, was beyond thrilled. I, I could not imagine as a 17-year-old kid that I would ever be in a room where Marty Schottenheimer would be personally explaining to me how the fumble happened, right? So yeah. so that's the kid part of me. But the other part of me was uh, really truly understanding uh, how these losses tore him apart. He like literally never forgot uh, any of them, that each of them just absolutely savaged him in ways that I think uh, were hard to for him to describe. And I saw it in many other private moments that these losses were crushing to him. Like everybody else saw Marty Schottenheimer as, you know, this really, really good coach who was, maybe he was lacking something. Uh, maybe he didn't, he was too conservative. Maybe this, maybe that. But Marty saw himself as, as a, great coach, a Super Bowl coach who kept getting denied his like his rightful place in the game uh and it, it didn't make any sense to him. It was it was really really fascinating. No, and it, also if you think about it for someone who where the, the losses aided him so much and he knew that he kind of had to wear that for him to go out of his way and stand up for Biner oh, when yeah. he didn't need to. Like, oh. that speaks to him, his awareness of, like, Biner having to live with that, too. Absolutely. Well, he loved Biner. He loved Ernest Biner. And Ernest Biner, by the way, beyond whether the fumble was his or not, uh, he was the only reason they even got back in that game. He was absolutely incredible that whole game. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and... You've got your neighbor's best friend's login <laughs> for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. 
alley-hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam, seals Game 5, and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. All right. I know I've asked you this before, but who was your who was your superhero when you were a kid? Like who was your sports? Who was your I know it was a Yankee probably, but who was your sports superhero when you were a kid? I mean, it would have been a Yankee because I really did not get into the other other local sports until I was a teenager. Ooh. Uh, so I guess it would probably be Reggie. Um, because I was a little bit too young for the three homer game, but I grew up in a house of crazy Yankee fans. And one of my older sisters, Alyssa actually had an op-ed published in the New York times (laughs) called to be young and in love with baseball because she had once written a letter to the like Murray Chass complaining about how the New York times like did their uh, baseball standings listings because they listed every other team by city and they listed Yankees and Mets as Yankees and Mets. And she felt that was teaching a bad geography lesson or something. And (laughs) this led to them being curious and, and publishing, in the paper so we were a big Yankee household and Reggie certainly was like the larger than life figure at that time have you met Reggie I have never met Reggie okay well that's probably good I mean no offense to Reggie uh but I always am fascinated by whose people's like who who their true hero was like the one hero they, you know and obviously all of us had more than one and once you became a big fan of the Knicks and and I'm sure Patrick played a huge role in your life and, and, and other, uh, you know, people as, as you went forward in other sports, but there's that one. And of course I've said many times, mine was Dwayne Kuyper, which is, yes. which was very fortunate for me, uh, because he is the wonderful guy. You picked a guy that can be difficult in Reggie. Yes. Uh, I don't believe that if you went up to him and told him you, he was your hero, that you would find that conversation, uh, to be particularly, uh, um, good i don't i don't even know what else to say i don't believe but if you had at the very same time that you were growing up if your superhero had been uh dave winfield you would dave winfield could not be more delightful he's just a he's a sheer delight so so i guess it's you know you never know that as a kid and it doesn't matter but but you know reggie was so larger than life it's hard not to pick him The, the best one of these I ever had where I met someone later in life was Mr. Rogers. Oh, I, yeah. It, it was like I was I had been at a press conference that PBS was doing just to promote like changes to Mr. Rogers neighborhood or something. And I couldn't stop myself. I went up to him afterwards. I said, you know, hi, Mr. Rogers. I'm sure you hear this all day, every day. So I apologize for it. But I would I would feel remiss if I didn't do it. I want to thank you for like everything you meant to me as a kid growing up. And he, like, never broke eye contact. He took my hand. He held it firmly. And he, like, just very sincerely gave me about 30 seconds of the full Fred Rogers experience and thanked me for coming up to say that to him and was glad that he could play any kind of role in in me becoming the kind of person who could then be interviewing him all these years later. So that's what you hope for. You almost never get it, but, you know, Mr. Rogers is Mr. Rogers. Well, he is. You know, Mr. Rogers uh, reminds me, there are, and I would say this has probably happened to me, like at this level, I would say it's probably happened to me five times. Maybe, maybe, not more. I think some version of this has happened many times, but... Five or so times, I would say, in my life, 
I have read a story that I didn't just love. I felt sad because I didn't write it. Like I felt like, I felt like, uh, oh, that should have been me. Oh, I just, that everything about this feels like I, sh- I wish I had written it or a version of it. Uh, and one of those was Tom Juno's piece about Mr. Rogers. Not that I ever could have written a piece anywhere near as as great as that piece. And if anybody's ever missed it, of course, it is the inspiration for the uh, Mr. Rogers movie uh, that stars Tom Hanks. Uh, but if you can go back and, and find, just type in Tom Juno and Mr. Rogers uh, and uh, and you'll find it. Uh, but yeah, there, there are certain stories that have come along that I just think, oh, because I, you know, I was that same kid, right? I was the one that grew up loving Mr. Rogers and, 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 uh, and then, you know, just hadn't thought about him that much. And, and then I see that piece and I just thought, oh, I, I really wish I'd written that. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You must've had that, right? That's happened to you. Oh, I do that all the time. Like it's, <laughs> I, I have no illusions about my, my skills as a wordsmith. And so there's a lot of times where I will read some, something somebody else has written, whether it's, you know, my, my longtime pal and sometime co-author Matt Zelder Seitz or Emily Nussbaum or, or Linda Holmes, frequent podcast guests. Like Linda will sometimes ask me to look at pieces she's written in drafts where she knows I've seen the show just to make sure she's onto it. And I will get to the end of it and I'll just be annoyed because I'm like (laughs) Linda why are you better at this than me oh I get that feeling all the time the why is somebody better than me feeling I get that all the time I meant more that there are certain story ideas that come and I just think oh boy that 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 I wish I had thought of that first yeah that 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 has happened from time to time and that really hits hard too yeah that's a that's a for a writer that's a that's a painful one all right did you watch the Super Bowl I, 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 I watched know. most of it. I think I turned it off sometime in the third quarter. Yeah, that was probably good. It was a terrible game. But, of course, I'm going to ask you, did any of the commercials do anything for you this year? No. I mean, this is... I'm glad that you brought this up. Because yes! I have to get this off my chest. Please. My, my son, who I love and is a wonderful young human being... <laughs> I hope so, Yeah. He, he doesn't really care for football, which is fine, given everything that we know about football. It's sure. probably for the best. Um, but so he comes in and he sits down and he's like, the Super Bowl is the one show every year where people care more about the commercials than the game itself. And because he's my son and I, and I love him, I didn't stop to correct him. Yeah. But I feel like this whole idea that the commercials are better than the game is this weird lingering thing that dates back to, like, the 1990s. Right. When the games were terrible, when they were Every always year. blowouts, and the NFC was always dominating the AFC, and that was a period when you had the Bud Bowl and a lot of really <laughs> iconic Super Bowl commercials. Right. It's been so long. A, since, like, the disparity between the game and the ads was that stark, but also since there have been really good Super Bowl ads. Yeah. They've been terrible for, like, 15 years, and people still get all pumped up about them. I don't understand it. It's exasperating. I think that's right. I And I'm glad, because this is exactly where I wanted to go, because there's nothing to talk about in the game. I mean, the game is... The only thing to talk about in the game is that this seems to have proliferated yet more Tom Brady is the greatest athlete who ever lived uh, stuff, which which I just loathe. I don't, why can't we just, why can't we just honor 
Tom Brady, and I hate to use that word, by the way, but why can't we just honor Tom Brady for what he is? Hey, look, he's he's an unbelievably great quarterback who is who has found ways year after year after year to take teams to championships and to win them. It's it's nobody is like him in in that regard. Nobody is close to him in that regard. Isn't that enough? I mean, isn't that enough? I, now I got to compare him to like to like. Uh, uh, Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt and like, are you kidding? I mean, like there, you could find somebody in your neighborhood who can outrun Tom Brady. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why we have to like push these to another level. He is a fantastic quarterback and has been for 20 years and that's well and good. And, and he deserves all of the acclaim that he can get for that and for all the winning. My gosh, can't you just leave it there? Just leave it there, please. Am I wrong? Well, no, it's the problem is we are now in an age where there can be no nuance. It's the right. age of superlatives. Everything either has to be the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever. Yeah. You can't, like, whenever I write a mixed review of something where I give it, like, two and a half or three stars out of five... People get almost angry. They're like, no, tell me if this is good. Tell me if I, and I'm like, look, I laid out the reasons why it's good and the reasons why it's bad. Yeah. You know, or if I give something a slightly positive but not great review, it's why are you hating on this? <laughs> you know, everything has just got to be awesome or awful. There is no room for in between. And and thus, whenever anybody does anything notable, like Brady winning, what was this, the seventh Super Bowl? Yeah, seventh okay. Super Bowl. Seven Super Bowl championship because we're leaving out the three that he lost to the NFC East, which I won't even get into. Yes, but you he, will. Yes, you will. Go oh, ahead. I just kind of did. So, um, <laughs> you know, Eli Manning, 2-0 in Super Bowls. Tom you know. Brady, less so. Yeah. Okay. Not 2-0. But, he is not undefeated in Super Bowls. <laughs> so, um, but the point is, like, Tom Brady does this. This is incredible. He certainly has an argument for the greatest quarterback in NFL history, although you got to start arguing about eras and whether, you right. know. Right. You know, like, can you compare him to Otto Graham? Were they even playing the same sport? So there's... Completely but, different. But, you like, he's not the best athlete ever. It's just best people... Best athlete ever. I mean, he's not the best athlete on his offense. I mean, that's it's yeah. just a... It's an, it's an absurd argument. And it's, it's... I think that you're right. I think that there's this idea of superlatives. And here was the problem. We went into that game with people generally referring to Tom Brady as the goat, right? Like they would, they yes. would, there he is, there's the goat. And, you know, and, and we had to hear like Tony Romo call him the goat like 500 times. All right, he's the goat. So now he wins the Super Bowl, which is by, by all measures, an extraordinary achievement for a guy who was 43 years old, a guy who went to a team that was not good last year, it's extraordinary. And he, again, we should say what an amazing job he did and all that. But where do you go from GOAT, right? I mean, you've already called him the greatest of all time. So where do you go from there? So now you got to be like, oh, he's the greatest winner of all time. Well, he's not. He's not the greatest winner Bill of Russell. all time. Bill Russell is the greatest winner of all time. Oh, but Bill Russell played a different. Well, so now we're going to have to parse all of that. So now where do you go? So he's not the greatest winner of all time. Where do you go? He's the greatest athlete. Of all time. Are you joking? I mean, is that like, that's just laughable. It's so silly. We all know what Tom Brady is as an athlete. He's really smart and he has a great arm that he can throw. 
That's it. That's his athletic ability. Is there any other sport he could step on the field with anybody of any consequence and beat them? No, no, it's absurd. So I, I don't, I, I guess it just speaks to who we are as, as, uh, you know, as fans. Look, I don't believe he's the greatest football player of all time. I really don't. I, I think the greatest football player of all time is probably somebody like a Lawrence Taylor or, uh, or a, uh, or a Jerry Rice or, you know, somebody who was so far better than anybody else who had ever come along. Somebody who reinvented the way the game is played. Somebody who is, who is, you know, who you just came in and said, okay, well, this is something brand new. Tom Brady's not new. Tom Brady was very often not the best quarterback in in the AFC when Peyton Manning was playing. <laughs> I I mean he just wasn't and and so I I find it really tough because this is exactly like your like slightly good review, right? Where yeah. people would be like, "Why are you hating on Tom Brady?" Because I'm not willing to call him the greatest athlete who ever lived. I mean, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I and I still remember at the end of Super Bowl 42 when there was like about a minute left on the clock and the Giants had uh, the three point lead, and Brady uncorked like three different bombs. Yeah. Yeah. To Randy Moss. And, like, I was terrified. Like, <laughs> like, how in the world is he throwing that? We're going to lose. Like, even then he felt inevitable somehow. Right. And somehow, miraculously, the, those passes did not connect. He is a great quarterback. You know, he, he's phenomenal. It's it's ridiculous that he's still doing this yeah. after all of this time. I guess it's because he doesn't eat tomatoes or something. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. But no, he's not the like he's not the best athlete, and it, it it also becomes one of these things where we have no institutional memory anymore. Right. Everything is about what the thing we just saw in front of us, the shiny object that was just passed right in front of our eyes. And so Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl, just won his seventh Super Bowl championship, was named the MVP through a bunch of touchdowns to Gronk and other people. And yes. as a result, like, he's the one you're paying attention to, and he's the one where everyone says, oh, well, he clearly must be the best ever because I just saw that and I have no memory of anything else. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Look, here's, here's again, how you do it. Is it the greatest career for every quarterback ever? Unquestionably. No quarterback has ever had a career like Tom Brady. Nobody's even close in my mind. When you talk about beginning to end of a career, nobody's close. Was he better than Joe Montana when Joe Montana was in his prime? Joe Montana ended much younger. But when Joe Montana was winning four Super Bowls, I uh, was Tom Brady better than Joe Montana? No. I don't think that that's I don't think that's was he better than John Unitas when Unitas was in his prime? I, I don't know that how you make that argument. I mean, with the argument you can make is that football's much tougher now, it's much more competitive, this, that, and the other, and that's all fine. I've I've gone through this a million times in baseball, obviously. Um, but when you start jumping in and saying, Oh, you know what, he's a better athlete than Messi. Like how in the <laughs> saying that how how is he a better athlete than Messi like, what are you talking about so yeah the whole thing goes off the off the rails I wasn't intending to go into that now I'm gonna get all the angry. yeah we we were talking about commercials we were and, talking about and, commercials but and as I, always on the podcast we digress <laughs> we do digress and this ends up being the main point but the point I wanted to make about commercials was uh they're not good I don't I mean look they're you, you get celebrity 
you you have them do kind of a goofy thing. It's it's 60 seconds. You get a little humor. That's fine. It's fine. These are not works of art. I I every year this comes around and and look, we do it too. My wife loves watching the commercials and writing them down and saying, "Ah, did we like the did we like the uh, GM commercial with Will Ferrell? Yeah, it was fine. It was funny. It was it was whatever. Did we like the commercial with the uh, you know with with the uh, Bruce? No, didn't really like that commercial. You know, so we we'll have that conversation. And because this year's Super Bowl did remind a little bit of those terrible Super Bowls uh, that you were talking about. Yep. Uh, the commercials felt like a little more important, maybe a little bit, but uh, they were bad though, Joe. I thought they, they were, were so bad. bad. I, didn't, I didn't think they were good. I didn't think I didn't think there was one memorably good commercial this year. The memorable ones were the ones that depressed me, like no, Wayne, Wayne's World for for Uber oh. Eats and Sesame Street for DoorDash, like this <laughs> bastion of like progressive children's education is promoting like this evil company that is like ruining local businesses. <laughs> What's going on? Well, how is how was this allowed? It's it was every one of those commercials if you take them like in full like that. It's like, oh, here's Bruce Springsteen doing a commercial for Jeep. Oh, uh, I don't even. Okay, <laughs> you and I both adore Springsteen, and we yeah. won't even get into who loves him more. Right. That like he came off so poorly. It was terrible. In Look, that the message ad. was bad. The message yes. was bad. Like the middle, we're going. Now we're all supposed to go to this one. You know, my wife is from a little tiny town in Kansas. We can't all meet there. All right, that's not. And by the way. A little tiny town in Kansas, that ain't the middle either, yes. by the way. I don't care where it is in the country. And, and also, like, other objections to that commercial would become much too substantive to be allowed right. on the positive. Right, right, I would you get can't. banned for life if I explained <laughs> all the things that were wrong with that commercial. But it was just, Bruce, I love you. That commercial was bad, and it should feel bad. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't good. And then, who doesn't love David Diggs? I mean, David Diggs is awesome. And you got Cookie Monster, and you got this, and you're like, hey, this is great. We get them all together. And then you're like, wait, what are they promoting again? What? What? What, what, what is this again? Oh, oh, that's not as no, good as I thought it was going to bad. be right there. It's so bad. Yeah. No, I, again, but here's the thing. I mean, it's all part of the of the machine, right, that is the NFL, the, you know, the machine that is the Super Bowl. And I do wonder, I mean, you, from for somebody who writes about television and, 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 you know, I would say there's a pretty good chance. I'll ask you about this in a minute. I think there's a pretty good chance we have been in the last few years in a golden age of, of television. Um, can there be a good Super Bowl commercial? In, in When you think about everything that's behind it and everything that's going, I don't know. Can there be a Super Bowl commercial that, that impacts sort of the way that – that they used to. I mean, I mean, not even forgetting like the Macintosh, you know, 1984 commercial. I'm talking about just generally speaking. Well, uh, can they? I mean, you just jogged my memory. Like th- most of these commercials were terrible. I forgot there was one genuinely good one. It was the Toyota one with Jessica Long, the Paralympic swimmer. Oh, that was good. But it, yeah. but it, but I, but, but like I have no idea what it had to do with Toyota. Right. It was just right. sort of a nice little short film <laughs> right. about how awesome Jessica Long and her mom. Yes, were. agreed. We all watched that commercial and said, that is really cool. What? Why is, what, <laughs> what, what, what does it have to do with anything, you know, as far as Toyota goes? But it was good in and of itself. Yes. Yes. So I, it is possible. It's just very hard. And uh, the other thing that certainly doesn't help is now 
there are commercials for the commercials. Like there's right. teasers for so basically like all of these things have for the most part come out ahead of time. They've been glimpsed, or at least we know that they're coming. There's rarities like Bud Light made a whole big deal about you know, we're not gonna advertise in the Super Bowl this year. And they got a bunch of promotion out of that. Yeah. And then they did an ad anyway, so they're, <laughs> you know. Well, I and I gotta say, there there are two uh two more uh points I wanted to make about about these commercials. One is this this throwback. Geico has done this. Uh, as well, they haven't. I don't think they did it for the Super Bowl, but they've done in general where they've sort of brought back sort of Geico's of the past, Geico commercials of the past, and, yes. and you know brought back the camel or whatever. And it's it's fine for what it is, I guess. But the self reverence that Bud Light has to their old commercials, where they like bring all these legends of whatever it was back. Who remembers those commercials? I mean, like, who are they talking to? They, they were their beer commercials. I mean, they're sitting there making them sound. It's like, it's like, oh, well, let's, you know, tonight we are going to celebrate Fellini. I mean, it's their beer commercials <laughs> that weren't that funny to begin with. And now we're like paying homage to them. I don't know. That, that's, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I always enjoy the work of character actor Eddie Jemison, and so I was glad he was able to pick up a paycheck reprising his role as Dr. Galakowicz, but no, that was not a good ad. Nobody remembers that commercial. That commercial was legitimately funny. That yes. Shashevsky, yeah, the the Shashevsky the one where, yep. where he was like, that was legitimately funny. But uh, but who remembers it? I mean, like my my daughter, we were watching that game with one of my daughters. My other daughter is off uh uh, studying. She's in college. She's not actually on campus, but that's a whole other story. But she is not in the house. She is with a friend, and and they're uh, uh, studying uh, and and taking classes. So she and she's the big big Chiefs fan. So we were just texting with her. But my younger daughter was there. She didn't even know what that commercial was supposed to be about. Like it made <laughs> no sense to her, none whatsoever. That commercial. But the second thing I, that I do need to bring up before we move on to something more important. Did you have any understanding of what the heck that Vince Lombardi thing was supposed to be? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I, I don't. And we drive by the, the Vince Lombardi service area right. on the New Jersey Turnpike it's all right the time. There. Yep. Uh, but and obviously I'm familiar. I've read I've read the David Moranis book sure. about Vince you Lombardi. Know, I know you know all about Vince Lombardi. I know a lot about Vince Lombardi, but I don't know what they were going for there. <laughs> it was it was. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Now, look, they people have brought Vince Lombardi back before for various commercials and various things. Uh, remember when uh, when uh, who was it? Uh, Jerry uh, um, Jerry uh, George's father from uh, Seinfeld. Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller came back and played Lombardi in a very funny way, and it was very good because it it like it was like okay, I get it. It's a joke. Like I get the point. This was like literally Vince Lombardi is like the soul of the nation or something. Like I didn't, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it at all. All right, but since we since you brought up Seinfeld, I gotta ask, and and also things that are throwbacks to things nobody remembers. <laughs> the Tide ad with Jason Alexander's face on the kids hoodie, where they're playing the theme to the Greatest American Hero. <laughs> 
And the only reason you would do that in a commercial featuring Jason Alexander is because there's a very funny Seinfeld joke in one episode where you hear George's answering machine and he's recorded his own version of the greatest American hero thing. Yes. Like, yes. believe it or not, George isn't at home. I, I won't do the rest, but if, if you've seen it, you know it. But okay, that's like a 23, 24-year-old episode of television. It's far from the most like iconic episode of Seinfeld ever. Like... What are you doing? Like, why? <laughs> why are you playing the theme song for the greatest American hero in this ad? Like, who is going to get that other than old men like me? Why? What? It, it's so weird um, because, like, first of all, that whole commercial was so bizarre, right? It was just, it was, it was really bizarre. And again, all right, seeing it through our eyes, we watch Seinfeld, whatever. Maybe you're, you know, that. You figure you don't need to get the inside joke in order to get the commercial since his face keeps changing whatever he does to the to the shirt or whatever. Um, and you're like, ah, some people will get a kick out of, you know, the, the song and some will not. But for my daughter, like, she doesn't know who Jason Alexander is. She doesn't know what Seinfeld is. She doesn't care. And, and like, I don't know that... I, I, here's the thing I would say. When I was a kid... Uh, young, six, you know, teenager, young twenties, whatever it was. Uh, I understood all the commercials. Like I didn't feel like there were any commercials that were like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Like, like the only version of that that I could ever remember was not knowing who Joe DiMaggio was the first time I saw the Mr. Coffee commercial. Yeah, and I'm like to him, me. It was like, oh, there's a guy just doing Mr. Coffee. It didn't matter. I didn't know. It's like, oh, it's but Mr. Joe, Coffee. you didn't know who the greatest living ball player was. How dare you? <laughs> I know. I was five or something. But but yeah, I remember asking my parents like, oh, who's that? And and they were like, uh, yeah, he was a great baseball player. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And but now I felt like every other commercial was like dating back to something that that happened not only before. Uh, my daughters were aware, but before they were born, before they possibly could know what the heck was going on. I, I, I don't know. It feels like the throwback thing is gone like to an, an extreme that, uh, that it wasn't even there when, when we were young. Well, I mean, I, I will say this, like we don't want to be all about erasing the past. One of the things I loved growing up watching Looney Tunes cartoons, including yep. baseball bugs, but we won't get into that yep. is like they would be, cause they were from the forties and the fifties they would have all of these references to things and I had no idea oh, what they true. were. That's but true. like sort of by osmosis, you kind of come to understand who Humphrey Bogart is right. or, you right. know, Jimmy Edward Stewart G. Is. Robinson, yeah. And yeah. even like something like The Muppet Show, the original Muppet Show from the 70s and 80s, like that was really a throwback to like, you know, old-timey variety shows. That's true. And they would do like ragtime and classical music and opera and all the <laughs> stuff that like did not seem like what's it doing in a show made for kids but it at least exposes you to it in that way. So I, you know, I love the the Joey Scarberry theme to The Greatest American Hero. And, sure. you know, I would sing it as a lullaby to my kids. So maybe I shouldn't be cranky about the fact that, like, yet another generation is being exposed to it. But I still don't understand what the heck that commercial was trying to no, do. No, it made no sense. It made no sense. and But I didn't think most of them did. I Like I say, I just think it was... It was, uh, it was pretty pitiful. It was pretty pitiful. All right. Uh... I want to talk a little bit about television. We're going to move off of sports. I'm going to come back 
don't let me forget that I am going to come back and ask you what you feel, how you feel now that the Dodgers have fully taken over your Yankee, whatever, <laughs> whatever that thing was that the Yankees had. Now it's the Dodgers. Sorry, the Yankees. It's over. That era is over for the Yankees. I'm not saying they're not going to be good. They, they, they obviously. Sure, no, I, I, I have thoughts and they, and most of your audience will find them completely insufferable, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like game five of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks, Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town, brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West and everywhere in between, like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. I did want to talk a little bit about television because I have been thinking about this idea of how much different watching television is from even like five years ago, much less 10, 20, 30 years ago and how, how, you know, absurdly different. And what made me think of this is we have become fans. Well, from the very start, we were big fans of WandaVision, the television show, uh, WandaVision, which is, I believe about to run their sixth episode. Is that right? I think that I uh, let's see the Dick Van I think Dyke. They've done five. Dick Van Dyke, Bewitch, Brady Bunch, then the Exposition episode, then Family Ties. Yeah, sixth episode coming up this week. Sixth episode, and there's only nine. Is that correct? Yes. So here's the thing about Wandavision that we have found uh, entertaining as a family. I mean, we were, you know, everybody in my family is, loves Marvel, and and so. Uh, you know, there were some questions whether or not they were going to get into the show, but then right away they did. And and so they're hugely into it. And we, it is a show that we have made appointment viewing. Uh, it comes out on Fridays. Uh, as soon as everybody is ready to go on Friday evening, afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, we all gather around the TV and watch WandaVision and, and, you know, it is a cliffhanger show and it's got all sorts of mysteries that none of us still uh, fully understand. And it's a good show. I mean, look, I'm not putting it into the all-time greats, but it's a really, really good show. But it occurred to me that I can't remember the last show that we did that for. Uh, maybe, eh, not even, you know, we liked uh, Mandalorian and we watched that. Uh, but I can't remember. It's been a long time. And that used to be what television was, was truly appointment viewing right because you had yes. to like there was you i mean you could for most of the time in the last 30 years you could record a show but you didn't i mean for the most part unless you couldn't be there when that show was was playing um i just i don't know it just strikes me that television is so much different now 
And a show like this could have come out the way other shows have, where you could binge the whole thing. But the way they're doing it, I don't know. It just feels throwbacky to me a little bit. I like it. I'm so happy that they're doing it. Um, yeah. It's for a variety of reasons. There, There's the selfish one, which is like, I made my bones doing this, doing like weekly recaps of shows. Right. And there's very few shows you can do that with now because there's very few shows that are actually released weekly that are interesting enough to merit it, you know? Uh-huh. So, and like a lot of the better stuff is being dumped on these streaming services that put out all the episodes at once and you just can't like go episode by episode with that. There, there's yeah. no point to it. But like just as a fan of television, as someone who enjoys discussing TV with people, it's, there are very few shows that I think are better suited to watch all at once. Uh, and it's just, it's much more exciting to have this communal experience but also to have the episodes made with the understanding that they're going to be released weekly. So, like The Mandalorian, it's it's like a mission of the week format. Mando and Baby Yoda, right. they go on some planet, they got to do something. <laughs> and even if it's connected to the larger problem of... Which it Man- doesn't have to be. But, but even when it is, you're still getting a satisfying story within that week. You're getting like you're sitting down for 30 to 40 minutes. All right. That story happened. That was well told. I got something out of it. I didn't just get like one tiny piece of the puzzle. Right. And there's too many shows now. There's a phrase I hear all the time and it makes me like it it makes me feel the way I'm sure you feel whenever I say nice things about the Yankees, which is (laughs) like we we feel like our season is more of a 10 hour movie. 10 hour movie. Yeah. Yep. So it's like, we because they know that their shows are going to be released all at once, and so they don't even bother trying to differentiate one episode from the next. It's just, here's the thing that happens, and then here's another thing that happens, and here's another thing that happens, and there's no shape to it, and there's no point to it, and everything could just kind of feel super laggy, and even the ones that end in a satisfactory way, like, it's just such a miserable slog to get there. Yeah. And it's done entirely because they know people will be watching it in relatively short order. And the the, the interface is going to immediately play the next one. So they don't have to work as hard to make people care about it. And WandaVision, because it's, you know, because they're doing these parodies of different famous sitcoms every right. episode. It's got to be a distinctive episode. It's here's our Brady Bunch story. Here's our Family Ties story. Uh, and, and so that's great, too. So both in terms of... Uh, delivery mechanism and structure, it's so much more satisfying. Like, I don't know that it's better necessarily overall than a lot of other shows that that have come out for a binge, but just the experience of it really pleases me. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. The I would say, I'm not going to name the book, but I was reading a book, um, a pretty big book, uh, maybe pretty popular book, a couple of weeks ago, and... As I was reading it, like a chapter would end and a new chapter would begin. And I would think to myself, and I can't remember thinking of this for another book. Why did that chapter end? Like nothing, there, there's no, it's not like the new chapter, it just picks up where the old chapter left. It's like you only broke it up to, I guess, maybe to make you feel as a reader like you had accomplished something and gotten through a chapter or to sort of give some semblance of order or something. But literally, this exactly where the last chapter left off, it, if, if you had not had the number, it would not have read differently. It, it, it's, it's just absolutely 
just reads right through. And a lot of shows feel like that to me. Like, you know, that's why I, I really am a fan of your of your podcast in the sense of, uh, you know, you're, you're really focusing on, you know, trying to figure out, have people figure out how a show gets from beginning to end. But what fascinates me about television, especially now, and I don't think it used to be this way because I don't think it could have been this way, is that a lot of shows feel to me like in and of themselves, they're not special. They're not a show. They're, it's like you see an episode and it's like, okay, um, and maybe there's a little something at the end to make you want to watch the next one or whatever. But you're like, what happened in that episode? Nothing. Literally nothing happened that in any way pushes the story forward. But yeah. even within itself as a, a work of art, a half an hour or an hour or 42 minutes or whatever it is, it's like that doesn't feel like a particularly satisfying experience. And I know it's hard to do that when you do so many shows. But the thing that feels to me is exactly what you said about WandaVision specifically is each each show is its own thing, its own. And yes, it is slowly revealing secrets and mysteries going forward. But I don't think enough shows are like, yeah, you know what? I've got a lot to say about just this one show because a lot of them just feel like they're just continuations of, of, of what happened already. Yeah, and part of this is just because a lot of the people making these shows do not come from the world of television because oh. there's so many shows being made now and also because so many people are looking for like really high-concept premises that will attract attention when there's too many TV shows. Right. There's a lot of people who basically like they couldn't get a movie made, and so they're turning their movie script, unsold movie script into a TV show, and they're just padding it out. And so they don't know or care how to actually make a television show. Uh, and that's that's kind of a bummer too. So the better one, the better versions of these are the ones that are being made by people with at least some TV experience. I'm I'm writing a review right now of uh, this Apple show for all mankind, and it's a little dragging here and there, but it's also it's got a lot of TV veterans on it, and so ultimately like they know how to make this in a way that a lot of people making the Netflix shows don't. Uh, so it's it's a it's a frustrating time. So when you said before like are we in a golden age right now? I don't know that we are right this second. I we're we're very adjacent to one, you know, like you go back a few years right. and you know, there was a lot of great shows. There's still a lot of very good shows, you know, when I do my top 10 or top 20 list every year, it's full of things I like. But I feel like there's a lot more things now where it's like you're having to forgive this flaw or that flaw or there's yeah. a lot of shows that are like not aspiring to be the best versions of themselves. It's really and, interesting. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I just think that's really interesting. And I must admit, I do get a huge kick uh, when you tweet, uh, as you will probably a couple of times every day, you know, your frustrations of people yapping about, you know, this just being a 10-hour movie and not a TV show and all this. But I had not really considered that there are not as many people left who are television people. I mean, that, yes. that, that is their entire focus. Like Mike, I mean, you know, we can talk about him since he's gone. Yep. Uh, Mike is a television person. I mean, it is, it is, he grew up in it. It's, it's been his whole career. And so he, you know, uh, look, I, we both love his shows, 
but generally speaking, even if however you feel about them, they're television shows. They're yes. you know they have a beginning and an end, and they're part of a larger picture. That's the thing that's so great about Cheers and those shows. Yeah, was they were all. I mean, for the most part, obviously there was there were some themes that carried through, but they were all like miniatures, right? I mean, they were all sort of self-contained within themselves. And that's that's becoming more of a lost art. My son and I, we watched all of Star Trek The Next Generation over the last year or so. Oh, okay. And while not, not all of it's great and some of it's quite terrible, <laughs> like at least there's always, oh, you know, I would get excited saying to my son, oh, we're getting up to this episode. This is really good. This is where, you know, Darmok and Jalada Tanagra, and you'll understand what I mean when we get to the end of it. And, like, now there's these Star Trek shows on CBS All Access or what's now going to become Paramount Plus, and God, were those commercials oh, during the Super Bowl wow. terrible. Such terrible. dogs. Terrible. But, all right. So the Star Trek shows that they've made, none of them, I would say, are bad, but they're all, like, 10-hour movie, and it's just none of them are that good. And the only times that they ever tend to be good is when, like, they'll do an episode, there's an episode of Picard where he goes and he catches up with like Riker and Troy from next generation and just hangs. It takes a break from the plot for a week. That was very good. But most of them are just these sort of amorphous balls of stuff that I'm just tired of and yeah. are not satisfying. And just like make a Star Trek show where they go to a planet and they visit the planet and then they leave and they go to another <laughs> planet next week. This isn't hard. You don't always have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel works perfectly well. It's a wheel. Yeah. Yeah, well, but that's but that's also a really good point. I, I mean, how much pressure do uh, directors and creators and writers feel to get you to the next episode? Like, I don't feel like that pressure used to be there because that next episode was going to be on next week, next Tuesday at 8.30, just like this week. And if you're a fan of the show, you're going to tune in. And yes, they had cliffhangers. I can remember, I remember as, as a kid, like, the whole idea of the cliffhanger in my mind has always been tied to the show Good Times. Uh, and there's a Good Times episode uh, where, and I will never remember the, the, uh, the, the, the premise or how it happened, but somebody almost fell down an elevator shaft. I remember that being the end. Like somehow there was, there was a broken elevator and we knew it, but, but they didn't know it. And, then the elevator went up and I think it was, you know, it was, it might've been Janet Jackson's character. I can't remember. It was, it was somebody almost fell down the elevator uh, I've, shaft. I've just looked this up because I Googled good times elevator <laughs> shaft and an auto-filled elevator shaft episode. So obviously I'm not the first one to look this up. There's a kid in the building named Larry. Okay. And he, ha and he has a hearing loss and his mother yes. is in denial about it. And Florida <laughs> keeps trying to convince Larry's mother, no, he's like deaf. You need to get him some help. Yes. He doesn't hear a warning. He almost falls down an elevator. Yes. Forcing Larry's mother to realize he has a problem. And she allows Florida to take Larry to the doctor. Okay. Well, so the way that episode was, and this was, I think, a pretty rare thing at least in my childhood, you know, because you just didn't have too many. I I think they they the famous uh, jumping the shark scene. I think I think the episode did end with Fonzie halfway over the shark. I, I that and, and then you had to wait till next week. So there were a few of these, but the one I the reason I remember the good times one so vividly is 
So Larry, now we now know the 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 kid with hearing loss, uh, almost is is getting ready to fall down an elevator shaft, and then it it goes dark, and that's that's the end of the episode. Yes. And I just thought, what what is that? And it didn't occur to me like he's obviously not going to fall down the elevator shaft. That, they, they wouldn't have a whole other episode. It wouldn't be the funeral of Larry wasn't coming up as the next episode. So, but what I remember was. All week thinking about that show and thinking about him almost falling down the elevator shaft and, oh, my gosh, and how are they going to get out of this and whatever. And the next episode starts, and I, I don't remember if they did a recap. They might have. But then he doesn't fall down the elevator shaft because literally somebody comes over and just grabs him. The episode, the, the, the entire tension of the moment ends in one second. It's just gone. And... But that's how television used to be, and I'm not saying that's better. It's actually worse in many ways. But what I what I recall about all of these shows were that they were their own show. And yes, maybe you know there was always the 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 you know the Diane and and love and all that stuff on Cheers, and there were a few little sort of lingering things on some of these other shows. But generally speaking, they were like, we're going to give you 22 minutes of entertainment. And then next week, we'll give you 22 more minutes of entertainment. And then the next week, we'll give you 22 minutes more. And if they tie together a little bit, if you if you get a little bit of, you know, Ross and Rachel, which was, you know, if you get a little <laughs> bit of that, that's, that's fine. But these shows are what they are. And that's gone, but it feels... I think that's why we like WandaVision or one of the reasons why we like it so much is each of these episodes, while having tremendous uh, cliffhangers at the end of each one, and none of us still know exactly what the heck is going on on that show, um, they're all self-contained stories too. Also, can you imagine if Good Times, exactly as it was, <laughs> was re- like a season of Good Times was released all at once on a streaming service. Oh, my See, so watch Larry. He's, he's going to get go into the elevator shaft. It cuts to black. The interface immediately starts playing the next episode. And two seconds later, someone grabs him and pulls him off. How lame would that be? But because you had that week, it was so exciting worrying about what was going to happen to poor Larry. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's just a, it's a, it's a whole different thing. And obviously, look, if 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 Netflix had been around, Good Times in some form or other would have been probably released as as a as a full season or whatever, or it would have been released on CBS with those unbelievably terrible uh, ads leading into it. Uh, by the way, seeing like I don't know, I think you actually did a review on it, so maybe it's. I think you said it was fine, but not great. I think you got one of those reviews, but. Seeing the Clarice commercials five thousand oh, times, I, there was not a chance I was watching. Or, or that Queen Latifah show. I mean, no offense to those guys, <laughs> but they just beat me down to a pulp. I'm not watching those shows. Are you kidding me? I feel like I've already watched two seasons worth. <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway, getting back to it. the other point I wanted to make about television, uh, and then we're going to talk about your Yankees, is the show Ted Lasso. Um, I guess we're now at a point, it's up for like a bunch of awards, isn't it? Is yes. that right? Yeah. Um, I was very reluctant to see Ted Lasso uh, because, no no, not a, no offense at all, I just didn't think there was a show there. I just didn't think that the premise was strong enough. I was at NBC when they started doing these Ted Lasso commercials, the American football coach coming over and coaching 
uh, Premier League soccer, even though he doesn't know any of the rules or, or anything about it. And they were very funny. You know, I was there when uh, Jason Sudeikis uh, came to record them and film them. And they're very, Jason Sudeikis himself is very, very funny. Um, but I, there was at no point during those commercials, and I, I don't know how many he filmed, three or four, at no point during any of those commercials that I thought, well, well I need to know more about this character, right? I, I, I just felt like that was it. Those things were completely, it was over. And so I was very reluctant to see the show. Um, fellow podcaster Brandon McCarthy uh, started watching it first and loved it, just absolutely loved it, adored it, and started berating me and Michael to watch it. And both of us were reluctant. Michael was more reluctant. I don't believe Mike has still seen Ted Lasso. I think he's he's so <laughs> offended by the by the premise that he is never going to watch that show. Um, but I I actually emailed you and said, "All right, what well, what do you think of Ted Lasso?" Because Brandon is is driving me crazy, and he says it's amazing. And I think what you had said, and I don't. In fact, if you want to, if you remember what you said, I don't. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think you said. It's very warm. It's not that funny. I, I believe that yes. was sort of the take you had. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yes, I'm. I, I, I'm on record about this. I published my review. I still get harangued about that review. I'm the guy <laughs> with no heart who thinks Ted Lasso is just pretty good and wishes it was funnier. Um, yeah. No, I think Sudeikis is great. It's a super likable show. I binged. I got those screeners all at once, so even though it was released weekly, I was able to binge it, and I watched the whole thing in like a day and a half. It was a very pleasurable experience. I am a sucker for all underdog sports movies. It's shamelessly ripping off Major League. Um, sure. And they even quote from Major League in the last episode, and I, I've seen Major League a million times. So on that level, it is certainly it's, it's an enjoyable show, and yet there's a part of me that throughout it kept saying, but this is trying to be a comedy, right? I feel like it's, I feel like there are laughs hidden somewhere and I'm just not aware of where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, that would but, basically... and then, then, then the other people are like, dude, you're missing the point. That's not what it's about. It's about the power of goodness. And especially at a moment like this, in this last year, when things have been so bad and so many people have behaved so selfishly, the idea of a show about a like superhumanly nice man, I get it. I 100% get it. Well, that's what I was going to get to, exactly that. Because you had told me, uh, you know, exactly that. You said, look, he's very likable. Uh, it's, it's, it, everybody is. Everybody on the show is very likable. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a sweet show. Uh, it's just not that funny. I mean, that was basically what you'd said. Yes. And so we started watching it as a family. And so I, I would say two things. One is I think you're 100% right. It's not that funny. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's not like you're not going to just goff. You're not going to guffaw. I don't know. Yeah, I think the first time I laughed out loud is when Danny Rojas runs onto the field for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there are a few scenes in there that are, yes. that are quite funny, particularly at the end. I think the last two shows are particularly good and, and, and quite funny. Um, but it's not you're you're it's, this is not spinal tap, right? You're not going to be sitting no. there, you know, holding your sides. All right. But, uh, it is unbelievably sweet. And, and this is sort of the final point I want to get to with you as, as you know, you've obviously, you know, written about these. There are certain shows that through luck, through certainly skill, um, sort of get at the zeitgeist of the moment. 
you know? Yes. And, and I mean, I think the cynicism of Seinfeld sort of fit the nineties and, and, and the sort of welcoming, you know, feeling of cheers sort of fit the eighties and, and, you know, look, and there were shows that we don't even talk about the Cosby show or something like that, that sort of fit the moment. And I don't think there was any way for you to have known this when you first saw it. I don't think there was any way for them to have known this when they made it. But, man, we just felt so good watching the show. It just felt like, oh, everything around us is terrible and we're all stuck in our homes and we can't see family and we can't see friends and we can't travel and we can't leave the house and, and, you know, and people are dying and people are losing their jobs and it's just awful. And then you come to this moment where the overriding premise is that if you are good enough as a person, you can overcome, uh, all of these, you know, negatives and yeah, it's a fairy tale, but man, I, it just made, it just makes you feel, it makes you feel good. And I think that's why that show just exploded in everybody's minds. Yeah, I, I I get it. It was one of those things where I, maybe, maybe I'm too much of a cynic. I don't know. I certainly entirely understand the appeal of it. And I definitely enjoyed it while I watched it. But I was also surprised at first when it became this phenomenon of, oh my God, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. Have you seen Ted Lasso? (laughs) You got to see Ted Lasso. But do you think it's because of the time? It's got to be. At no, least it's, in part. it's entirely because of the time. And definitely over this last 11 months now, God, uh, I've had a harder time watching more cynical things, darker yeah. things. You know, I wouldn't watch like even if one of my kids was old enough for it, I would not like do a Seinfeld binge with them yeah. right now. I would look for something more upbeat to do. Uh, so something like this is absolutely the right show for the moment. And I guess we're lucky that we got it somehow. And also that Apple is still making their weird streaming service free to anyone <laughs> who bought an Apple product because they can't get enough paid subscribers. So, yeah. you know, here's your complimentary subscriptions. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I had a friend uh, say to me recently, they said, you know, I've never watched Breaking Bad. And I said, don't watch it now. I, I just, I just flat told him, I, I thought Breaking Bad was incredible. Obviously, you know, you, you've, written a little bit about Breaking Bad uh, and and it's it's one of the great shows in the history of television. Uh, I binged it on your uh, recommendation, which I, I firmly uh, agreed with. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. Oh, I couldn't watch Breaking Bad now. Are you kidding me? Episode after episode of Breaking Bad with the world going the way it's going? I, I can't get anywhere near that show. Yeah, I would not want to watch The Wire right now. There's a, there's a lot of yep. things that are just incredible. Although it's been interesting to see that a lot of people have apparently chosen to use the pandemic, or the quarantine rather, as their excuse to finally watch Sopranos. Yeah, well, I don't think The Sopranos is that dark a show. Inter- I mean, I, you might totally disagree. Oh, with I, I, would, I would call it a very dark and cynical Well, show, it's a very so. dark show, but it is... Like what I never thought, and I know other people disagree with me. I never thought that Breaking Bad uh, was ever funny. I never found it funny. I never huh. found it light in any way. I always thought it was a dis- we were descending into a dark place. And I never thought The Wire was funny. I never thought it was supposed to be funny. Hmm. It was. It was. You know, there were certainly scenes in it that were you know particularly you know at the bar or something that's fine. But I mean, it was pretty dark. 
Sopranos has lots of funny stuff in it. I mean, it really does. I think it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's dark, sure, but I it doesn't feel to me as dark as those shows do. What about Mad Men? Is Mad Men a good a good uh, quarantine binge? I feel like that would be because it's it's transporting you to another era. So right there, it's oh, yeah. like obviously there were many many things wrong in the '60s, and that yes. documents a lot of them. <laughs> but I I feel like time travel has definitely like period pieces have a bit of a leg up right now. All right, that's what I'm going to ask you. We're going to go into the Yankees right now, but can you give us three shows to binge if if people are out there? Uh, looking for a good pandemic binge. Hopefully, we're coming out of this pandemic at some point in the oh fairly near gosh. future. I like. I I feel like I need to have this written down on a note card because I always freeze up when I'm finally. Oh, asked you'll to do think it. of. Look, okay. you can, nobody's here's the show. It. Here's the show I'm going to mention, and it, it, I'm going to sound insane, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a show. It is called Bluey. It is an Australian animated children's show <laughs> targeted Bluey. primarily at preschoolers. There's at least a season of it. On Disney Plus, there's a whole bunch of additional episodes if you're a cable subscriber on demand from Disney Junior. It's about a family of blue healer dogs living in Australia, uh, a father named Bandit, a mother named Chili, and their two young girls, Bluey and Bingo. And it is all about the power of imaginary play. And my God, it is by far the best and most uplifting thing I have watched throughout this pandemic Wow! Uh, with my kids to the point where like, I sometimes have to encourage them to come in the room for more Bluey. <laughs> so Bluey is your Ted Lasso is what Bluey you're is my Ted Lasso. Yeah. Cause it's very warm <laughs> and it's all, and it's sweet, but it's also really, really funny. Like just the ways in which they show the, the father bandit, especially kind of like suffering for being a good dad. Like he's, he's an incredible sport and will go along with whatever ridiculous game the girls are doing, even if it causes abject humiliation or bodily injury or usually both. Um, so I think it's, it's delightful. And I've had a lot of reaction from like, whenever I mentioned on Twitter from people saying, I love it so much. I wish my kids liked it as much as I did. <laughs> All right. Bluey. See, this is it. Don't, for people who say the podcast is completely meaningless, well, they're right. But here we're giving you Bluey. All right. Yes. We have we have started. I have started because my family's, <clears throat> my daughter uh, has already watched this. Uh, but I have started to finally go back and watch uh, Sherlock, the the uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch the one. Benedict Cumberbatch one. Uh, I've only seen the first episode, but of course, they're also like, those really are movies. They're like an hour and a half each or something. Yeah, and there's not that many of them. I think they did three per season. Right. So uh, where? how do you feel? Is that is that a good one? To, that's, to... A good, that's a good one for a while. Like, I, th- I can't remember exactly when they started to become a little bit too clever for their own good. Like, okay. they're sort of, they keep trying to twist it, but I think you'll know when you get there. And in the meantime... Uh, Cumberbatch and Barton Freeman are really good together so good, and it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun and, and that's, that's a good show. All right. All right. Now we'll get back to, uh, to something I actually know. I don't know anything about baseball either, actually, but let's talk about your Yankees because as, as I mentioned in the, in the little tease, you know, that, that's what we call it, Alan, when we, when we promote. Oh, is that, or, is that what professional podcasters that's, do? They, they no, tease? that's what, that's what I do. I don't say anything okay. about professional podcasters. Um, the Dodgers now are buying every player. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every player. This is what the Yankees, in my mind, as a Yankee hater, and I know in your mind as a Yankee lover, 
This yes. is what the Yankees are supposed to be the ones doing. No, 100%. It's, they it's are the outrageous. ones. It's, it's outrageous. How can you allow the Dodgers? I mean, look. I and I I've thought this for a while. Obviously, when they got Mookie Betts, I mean that changed, you know. But when the Dodgers, who are the last team in baseball to need Trevor Bauer, absolutely the last team in baseball to need Trevor Bauer, sign Trevor Bauer. That is the ghost of George Steinbrenner right there, just doing just just absolutely lifting a middle finger to the rest of the game. Uh how do you feel as a Yankee fan watching another team do this? Well, see, here's the thing. I feel okay with it, Joe, and you know why? Because ultimately the thing that matters to me most as a Yankee fan is the impact that the competitive balance tax penalty <laughs> has on Hal Steinbrenner's bottom line. I don't think well, you, of course. I don't think you fully appreciate just how onerous the CBT pe- tax penalty is <laughs> when you get into the repeater tax, Joe. That's just not fair, and Hal shouldn't have to pay that. So, you know, Trevor Bauer, whatever, he can, he can go elsewhere. We're, we're fine. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the really funny parts of the game is that we have gotten to a point where everybody is, you know, obviously very aware of what the salary tax uh, does at the top end, uh, how onerous it can be. Obviously, this was why the Red Sox didn't even try on Mookie Betts. Yep. But... All of this is sort of spoken as if a single fan cares. And the amazing thing is that I feel like they've brainwashed a lot of fans (laughs) into caring. It's It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I I don't understand why anybody, I don't care as a, if I'm a sports fan, I don't care if my owner has to go door to door collecting money, you know, for 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 meals. What do I care? I do not care yep. about any owner that is unwilling to spend money to make the team better is a bad owner. Period. That's the only thing they do. They do nothing else. And and uh. so you know, I, I mean, look, I, I there's a big part of me that respects the Dodgers for what they did. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? If you're the Dodgers and you can get Trevor Bauer, why wouldn't you get Trevor Bauer? Go ahead. I mean, you know, look. Oh, 100% more more power to them for being willing to do that. Yeah, look, and, I don't like Trevor Bauer. I mean, yeah. that's that's a whole I don't I Yeah, don't he's know. insufferable, and I don't think I would have wanted to pay him, even though the Yankees need, like, more reliable pitching than they, than they have right now. But, I mean, he's very good. But you did, look, they did bring back DJ LeMahieu. I know that made you happy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love DJ LeMayhew. It's French for LeMayhew, so that's good. <laughs> that's uh, right. It's French for the Mayhew. I completely biffed the joke. You, My God, you blew the joke, me. but you know what? Well, if we had real editors we could have actually fixed it no 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 but we don't let my shame exist oh don't worry we don't we don't we don't edit this um no and 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 within these stupid and unnecessary limits of the budget that hal steinbrenner has spent brian cashman did some interesting things he brought back dj mayhew he signed Corey kluber he traded for jameson talon like there's it's one of these teams where if everybody's healthy it's going to be a really good team. Right. But they're sort of relying on a whole bunch of different lottery scratchers here. And like, and they let, they let Tanaka go. And the argument I've heard, which is a pretty good one is when you're as good as the Yankees are already going to be, the thing that's most valuable is not like a reliable innings eater so much as it is a pitcher capable of being a top end 
ace-style pitcher in a playoff series. And so you would rather spend that money on Kluber hoping that you get something resembling the old Kluber rather than getting reliable, you know, above-average innings out of Tanaka throughout the year. So I, I guess I get that. I just feel like you could have both. You could have so many things. And I've heard this stat a number of times. I've never actually looked it up to confirm that this is correct, but I've heard it repeated often enough that I'm just going to pretend that it is correct, which is the Yankees spend a lower percentage of their their baseball revenue on the team than they did 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to buy it. Let's just say it's true. We don't care about Yeah, like, that. I mean, their payroll is still incredibly high, and most of your listeners yeah. are, like, saying, you know, cry me a river Yankee fan. I wish right. we could spend $210 million, and I understand that. But if you're in a sport where you're there is no salary cap, or there's not supposed to be, and you can spend as much as you want, and you have a team that makes more than anybody else right. by a lot, and is spending a lower percentage of what they're making than, like, you know, the Minnesota Twins... That's not right. They should like that's not acceptable. Yeah, look, I I agree, but I also think you you brought up a really good point and 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 uh, a, a pure baseball point and something that we've sort of been focusing on here a little bit uh, as if we focus on anything here <laughs> um, is how much the game has changed because there are so many teams making the playoffs, and obviously, the more teams that make the playoffs, the more this change is is real. A guy like Tanaka, for instance, is hugely valuable when only one team makes the playoffs in the entire American League, Yeah, right? Then you need a Tanaka as your fourth starter to to put you keep you in 35 games to keep you in, you know, 29 of them, win 18 of them or 19 of them or 20 of them or whatever it is. Um that guy is hugely valuable if it's one, if it's two. Even if it's three and you only have to win your division. But now you get wild cards. Now you get more wild cards. Now you get more wild cards. And suddenly that doesn't matter. You're going to make the playoffs. I mean, the Yankees, regardless of how injured they might be or whatever the case may be, and obviously you never know, they're going to make the playoffs. They're they're too good not to make the playoffs. Yep. And then once you make the playoffs, now it's okay. We got to build a roster ready to go, which feels so ridiculous for a 162 game season, right? That your only purpose is let's just get through these 162 games, and and then we'll then we'll it'll matter, you know. Then the games will matter. I mean, that's it's it's silly enough in the NBA, but it, even in the NBA, it's 81 games. I mean, it's half. The number of games, so you know, suddenly a guy like Corey Kluber, who, well, who knows? I mean, Corey Kluber hasn't pitched in two years. Who the heck knows what Corey Kluber is going to be? But a guy like him, because he, you know, was so great and has such a higher upside, is is the kind of guy you want. It just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like your job is no longer to build a great team. Your job is to build a team that over a three-week stretch can can dominate, you know? Even even if they would, you know, implode the rest of the year, it doesn't matter as long as you're good for those three weeks. I don't like it. I, I mean, that's not as much fun to me. I think the Yankees actually, as, as painful as this to say it, I mean, I think the Yankees are the best team in the American League when you talk about full teams and... 
you know, being reasonably healthy. I mean, look, if they ever do get uh, a fully healthy season from Aaron Judge and a fully healthy season from Giancarlo Stanton and a fully healthy season from Aaron Hicks, I mean, they're they're absurdly good. No, they are, and that's and but at the same time, like we went from having this really impressive young core, and they were really cheap for like you know Judge even now is absurdly cheap for the production sure. he gives you when he's healthy. You know, Glaber Torres, you know, wildly underpaid. Gary Sanchez, well, who knows if he'll ever be able to hit hit a baseball again? But I'm saying there was this period where like they had all of these great young players at the same time. And they could have, like, really gone for it and maximized their potential to, like, make it to the World Series and win a World Series while they had the core together. And they didn't. And finally, last offseason, they did. They shelled out a lot of money for Garrett Cole. And that's great. And I'm so happy to have him. But it felt like Cashman basically, like, he was only able to spend that amount of money if a player of, like, Garrett Cole's caliber was available and not until and until then he couldn't convince Hal to spend money on this guy or that guy and so even though their payroll is really really high because they have several you know huge ticket players like Stanton overall there's like it's it's a thinner team than it should be given all the resources and they're not doing everything they can to try to win even one world series with this core let alone you know try to go for another mini dynasty yeah, no, I mean, I think that's I think that's what separates the Dodgers. I mean, is that you know nobody would have blamed them if they didn't do anything, right? They they could have they they're they're the best team already. Yeah, run it back, rest on your laurels. <clears throat> but they didn't do that because uh, because they're the new Yankees. All right, speaking of that, well, here's here's my last Yankee question. Yeah, how do you as a Yankee fan? Uh, and representative of all Yankee fans, no matter what they, no matter what they want to believe. Um, how do you view the Giancarlo Stanton situation? I mean, this is going to be his fourth year. He's had one healthy season, which was fine. Uh, dis- fine. It was a real, like he carried the team in that one healthy season. He, he did. But I mean, when you look at the overall season in the context of his career, it's fine. It's it's what's his fifth best season maybe as a as a as a player. I mean, he was coming off of his Babe Ruth season, right? So yeah. so you know he it was fine. It was it was good. He had a five oh nine slugging, and it was it was fine. I think if he had done that repeatedly, it would the numbers would have added up, and everybody would have been fine. But of course, he hasn't been healthy since then. Uh, he is now in his thirties, so. What do you think? Where where do you where do you sort of stand on Giancarlo Stanton as a Yankees fan? All right. Well, it becomes impossible to separate from the whole Hal Steinbrenner issue, which is if we weren't operating w- within this artificial budget, I would be so happy to have Giancarlo Stanton on my team right. because when he is healthy and he is locked in, to be He's able incredible. to have him and Judge is incredible. Right. You know, when he came to life, you know, in that last playoffs, I was so oh. excited. I love it. It's, you know, my big baseball boys. It's really fantastic to see. But the contract is so big and for such a long period of time that clearly they are making other decisions. Like, he's he is limiting their willingness to sign or trade for other people. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, my understanding is they were not ever intending to trade for him. And then eventually, like, 
Florida, you know, made the cost so cheap, both in talent and their willingness to pick up part of the contract, that they couldn't say no. It's like, this is ridiculous. We have to get him. He's Giancarlo Stanton. But I do wonder, like, what the team would look like if they had not made that deal. Don't, don't you think if they had not made that deal that Bryce Harper would be a Yankee now? Uh, but would I rather have Bryce Harper than Giancarlo Stanton? Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's a, I don't think that Bryce Harper is as good as Giancarlo Stanton when Stanton is healthy. Yeah. But Harper is healthier. Yeah, and they have the best Stanton. ability is availability. I know that. I mean, maybe they would have signed Machado, but if they'd done that, then we wouldn't have Gio Urshela, who has, you know, been another one of those guys who must drive Ugh. you nuts, right? Yeah, he drives me nuts. I, I don't yes. want to talk about Gio. We're not discussing Gio Urshela. Or, or Mike Talkman. We're not Mike Talkman wasn't even good last year. We can, <laughs> we can let your Mike Talkman hatred go. I am not letting it go, because I know he will still hit a home run that will break everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll see how that all goes. All right. It's time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael. No diet coke for Joe. The podcast was. One last I didn't ask you, but I assume you brought one with you. No, you no, one? you. T- I emailed you this morning, and you told me not to prepare anything, Joe. So I don't appreciate being put on the spot like this. Well, there you go. I'm putting you on the spot anyway, because look, look be, let's. Now that we're almost at the end, and you've already done this, I'm going to. I'll tell you, I totally disagreed with the commissioner's decision. I just, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you that up front. But you know what? He's He's the commissioner, and and I don't argue with with him. That's it. All right. So I guess I'm going to talk about snow shoveling. Yes. Because, all right, I realized I shoveled my driveway the other day, and I realized it was the first time I had done it in about three years. Okay. Because last year, the Northeast got basically no snow. When it did fall, it melted so quickly that it wasn't even worth doing anything. The year before that, I was recovering from shoulder surgery, so I was not medically allowed to shovel, so I had to have somebody come. And the year before that, I think whenever we did have snow, it was like just the right perfect amount to use my little snowblower. Yes. So this this latest snowfall that we got was the first time it was like just right for me to go out with the shovel and do it. And Joe, let me tell you something. You will never feel as old oh God. as you do. After you have shoveled your driveway and your walkway. And this was like light powdery snow that we had maybe two inches of. It could not have been easier to do. And like I was done. My son came out and helped me a little bit. By the time we were done, it was maybe a half hour, 45 minutes. It was like the easiest shovel I've had in forever. And I came back inside the house and I just wanted to curl up into a ball and not talk to anybody or not do anything for a year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Shoveling snow is one of those things. I'll tell you, there. I've thought of this in two ways. I haven't had to shovel snow in a long time. But shoveling snow is so much harder than you think it is. It is so much more physically grueling than you think it is. I said there are two things. The other thing that is like this is reaching back into the backseat of your car and getting something. Those two things are 
they're going to wreck your body in ways that you could never see coming, ever. And uh, frankly, Alan, look, you're a successful guy. Dude, get somebody to shovel your driveway. I'm sorry. I usually I, do. There, there's, yeah. an or, there's an organization around here called like Teen Assistant or something. And like you text them and they say, okay, we'll send th- we'll send three teens to your yes. driveway. Yes. Take care of it. And I did that for the first big snowfall of this winter. <laughs> this one seemed light enough that I'm like, ah, I'll do it no. myself. No. Never it's again. Never. Bring no. back the teens. <laughs> It's it's why they're teens. That's literally the. I mean, I'm not. I as a as a father of two teenage daughters, that is their existence. That is what they're there for: is to shovel your driveway. That's it. That's what they're. I remember we were in Kansas City, and uh, and it was I was already. I guess we were married. We had just gotten married, so you know, I mean, money was was uh, it was somewhat tight uh, for sure. Uh, wasn't, uh, you know, the Kansas city star, God bless them. They weren't, uh, enriching me, uh, by any stretch. And, uh, we bought our first house and which was wonderful and really stretched us, uh, as, as these things will, we were very fortunate to be able to do that. And the first snow came and, uh, this kid came by and said, um, would you like me to, you know, come and, and shuffle your driveway? We had a long driveway. And my wife answered the phone, the door. And my wife said, oh, no, no, my, my husband will do it. My husband's got the driveway. It's fine. And he goes, okay. And he starts walking off. I literally raced to the porch <laughs> and said, hey, I don't care what my wife just told you. Yeah, do it. Do the driveway. It's yours. It's all yours. I don't know how much that cost me, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it was. Best money I've ever spent. My wife was so mad at me. She's like, we cannot afford for you. And I'm like, I don't care if that kid wanted me to pay 500 bucks. I am not shoveling this driveway. And uh, and I have not shoveled a driveway since. I'm very proud to say that. So uh, uh, I hope I, you've I learned your do lesson. That. I hope you've learned your lesson. It's, I really it's, have. I regret everything. <laughs> All right, my one last meaningless thing is uh, so today actually uh, this morning I I went uh, I was uh, proud to be invited uh, to do an interview for uh, a Ferguson Jenkins documentary that will be coming out uh, on a Monumental uh, Network in Chicago uh, later this year. Uh, MLB is putting it together. Of course, Fergie. Jenkins, one of the great pitchers of all time, and uh, they asked me to to do an interview, which was very nice of them to do, and and I I was honored to be a part of it, and uh, and all of that. That's not my one last meaningless thing. That's much too meaningful. I can't even yes. believe you would bring up such a thing. I was going to say that is not my podcast <laughs> moment like this. Yeah, that is not my one last meaningless thing. My one last meaningless thing is, uh, in order to do it, I had to go meet them. They actually came to to uh, Charlotte. Uh, to film it and and rather than doing it over Zoom, which is where I've done everything, I actually had to meet them at a hotel uh, to to uh, to do this, and uh, and I thought, oh, all right, I got to do that. And every step of the way, every single step of the way, I realized that I have forgotten how to live. I literally <laughs> have no ability to live. I put on a jacket and and button down shirt, and I realized. Well, this is the first time I put on a jacket and button-down shirt in a year, at least. I have not worn a jacket or a button-down shirt. There was no reason for me to ever do that. So I'm putting that on. It's a little tighter than I want it to be. I'm not going to even bring that part up. 
I'm like, this feels really weird. Like I'm actually putting on like a pair of slacks and, and dress shoes. And I'm like, this is really weird. And then I got into the car and that in and of itself is pretty weird. I almost never go anywhere. Uh, when I go, it's usually I play tennis and, uh, drop my daughter off at tennis and that's it. Those are the only things. So I'm getting in the car and I've got to drive to a place that I've not been to a, a, a hotel. And then I get to the hotel and then I have to park and I figure out, okay, well there's free valet. So I I'm valeting and I don't know how to do that. And then I'm like, Oh, I don't have any cash to tip this guy because I've, I've not seen uh, a dollar bill in like a year. So I had to figure out how to like go back to the bank and get money. And then I went in and of course, you know, I'm actually talking to people in real person, in real time that I know that I don't know, uh, over, uh, over like real life conversation, which I realize I have no longer know how to do. Um, every step of the way has taught me that in the last year, I have forgotten every single thing about how to live. I, 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 of course, want this pandemic to end tomorrow, uh, and I hope it does end soon. And uh, I'm thrilled that my parents have uh, already gotten their first vaccine uh, shot and, and all of those things. But I'm telling you, I am not ready to return to society. I am completely, I am completely out of the loop on what it takes to live anymore. Joe, I've worn uh, jeans twice in the last 11 months and hated every minute I was doing it. Like I, I'm proudly talking to you right now while wearing a pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt. And that's like all I've worn all the time. I, it's going to be very, I, I can't wait for it to be over either. I've been fortunate enough because I've I've got a couple of comorbidities. I got my first shot a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to get the second one in two weeks. So that's, so in that respect, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and I, I can't wait for this to be over for everybody, but I don't want to have to wear like a, <laughs> what, what is, I believe referred to now as hard pants. I don't want to have to wear hard pants anymore. I got a, like a, uh, like an email basically saying something like, um, Hey, it's been a while from like American airlines. Hey, it's been a little while. You you know, would you like to go to Acapulco or something? No. And it's like, first of all, yeah, sending out that email. But second of all, man, I have not been on a plane in a year. And that's weird for anybody uh, who travels a little bit. But, I mean, I used to travel. I was gone 150, 175 days a year. And so uh, I have been at home nonstop since last February, late February. And I got to tell you, there's a part of me that could have been like, oh, man, you, I bet you miss being on the road. I don't. I, I, I honestly don't know how I'm ever going to travel again. I, I feel like I'm just going to squat. I feel like that's all I got left is I'm just ready to sit here and, hey, if you want to talk to me, you can Zoom me. I don't need to, I don't need to see you anymore. I, this is who I've become, and I, I, don't, I don't know how long it's going to take to break out of it. I, when I was on that plane flying home from LA after taping those first two podcasts, like a, it was, it was a half empty plane. It was the least full plane I've, I've been on (laughs) since maybe my childhood and everyone was kind of avoiding everyone else. And like, this was already the point where like everyone had grabbed up the disinfecting wipes. I think I have, I've got it right next to me. I still have it here. A package of like pledge, um, 
multi-surface wipes with no disinfectant <laughs> properties whatsoever, but it was the only thing I could find. And I'm like scrubbing the armrest and doing everything and right. just looking around in terror the entire time. And no one was masked because back then we didn't realize that, like that, that would be a smart idea. I don't want to go anywhere either. Like, it's yeah. just, I want to see people. I want to, you know, hug yes, my sister. Course. I want to go hang out with my friends. But I, there's so many other things that I'm like, it's it's okay. We'll, we'll just... We'll just be home. Well, I'll see you on the screen. It's okay. <laughs> I do wonder. I do wonder, like, once we are through this, once we are really through the looking gra- glass on this, um, how much life will be different? Or will we just all just be so excited to go back that we'll just all, like, jump head first? I mean, like, I, in my mind, I can envision a full stadium of fans in October watching the World Series. And that that idea thrills me to no end. Um, but I don't know if that's really where we're going to go. I don't know if I, I don't know what it's going to be like, uh, yeah. once we start working through, but I will say this in a year, I have literally forgotten how to live that yeah. life. I, I don't know how to do it I, anymore. And we'll have to relearn everything. It's I gotta say though, Joe, like this whole conversation has been much too profound for this segment. I don't oh, know. What I, don't, you, I don't know what you were thinking. I'm oh, gonna have I don't to, think so. I'm going to have oh, to talk to Goodell about this. I think it's at the, at well, the very least, there's going to have to be some kind of fine. No, here's the thing. First of all, there's nothing profound about me talking about how I, I literally don't know how to live anymore. That's that, that is, could be nothing less profound than that. And secondly, look, I know you think you've got a relationship with Goodell, but that man can turn fast. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that you could be rebanned tomorrow. I mean, look, happy to have you on now, but uh, I, I I wouldn't hold hope for, for fine, a Fine, fine. I'm going to enjoy this moment while I have it. And, you know, San Dimas High School football rules. All right. My, well, uh, as always, Alan, thank Th- you. Thanks for having me, Joe. The presenting sponsor of today's show is Tops.com and Tops Project 70. Tops is celebrating the 70th anniversary of its very first baseball card design with a new program that pushes boundaries while also paying homage to their heritage. Founded in 1938 as a chewing gum company, Topps released their first baseball card set in 1951. Now, seven decades later, Topps has teamed up with 51 artists and creatives from around the globe to revisit and reimagine 70 years of Topps' most iconic baseball card designs through a year-long program called Project 70. Each artist will select their own MLB players and top designs from any year to craft a unique story. Ever wanted to know what Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle would look like in a 1980s tops design? Or how about Fernando Tatis Jr. in the 1950s? Now you can. Three new cards launch daily all year long on tops.com and are only available for 70 hours before they're gone for good. While you're there on the lookout for special cards, each card drop includes rainbow foil editions numbered 1 to 70 randomly inserted into each card's print run as well as one of one gold frame edition given to a lucky purchaser. Exclusive artist proof editions numbered to 51 featuring a silver frame are also available for purchase for every single card. But hurry as those sell out shortly after each card is launched. So look, head to tops.com to learn more about Project 70 and to check out which cards are live right now.